morning and welcome to you, Soul City Church. How are you doing today? Yeah, that's impressive given the temperature outside. I am very impressed. I want you to look around the room real quick. Uh, these are the folks that will be at the front of the line in heaven with you because you came to church on one of the coldest days of the year. So I, I don't think that's how God uh, works, but uh, you're his favorite. I wanted to tell you that you're God's favorite by showing up for church today. So thank you for... Uh, being here. I'm excited to conclude this teaching series called The Genius of Jesus. Uh, but before I get to that, I just want to say a word to our church. I wanted to uh, thank you for um, loving uh, family in our church really well. And uh, this uh, last week and a half has been really hard for our church as we've uh, lost a really a founding member and a central cornerstone to our church, Jeremiah Durbin. And uh, I just want to thank you for those of you who showed up the last week and a half or so and served and volunteered and held space with Tamra and with Cannon and who um, wrote cards and loved on them well. Um, a, a sign of how someone is growing is how they grieve. And I, I want to thank you for that. And for the many other folks who are suffering through our church that you come around and love with the love of Jesus. Thank you. Well done. You couldn't do it any better. Uh, than that. And so that's just a word we wanted to say thanks to you guys and to continue to do so, not only with Tamara and with uh, Canon. I was with them yesterday. I'd encourage you to keep doing that. But with anyone you know in your life, especially this time of year that is hurting, that is suffering, um, what a great opportunity and invitation for you to get out of your comfort zone and to extend the love of God to them and not to miss that opportunity. So thank you so much for doing that. I love this time of year. I love Christmas. I love our Christmas Eve services we have coming up on Wednesday evening and Saturday afternoon. We fit like 96 Christmas traditions into 60 minutes. It's a powerful experience. You got to try and keep up. But we love it because we just have so many traditions and so many things that we love to do here. But if we were to be really honest, I think if we were to be really honest, this most wonderful time of the year uh, may not feel that way for, for all of us. Uh, in fact, there was a recent Healthline survey that found that 62% of Americans, 62% of Americans felt significant stress or anxiety around the holidays. 62%, six out of 10 folks in this room feel a significant amount of stress or anxiety around the holidays. And maybe you do too without even realizing it. Uh, maybe there's stress or, for you around finances. It's the end of the year and you're you know, trying to make things work. You got a lot of gifts to buy, a lot of presents to buy. Maybe you have tickets to buy to fly somewhere to see someone. And so you're stressed about finances. Maybe for you, uh, there's family uh, and that just just brings up all that it brings up every year. And there's family that you don't really want to have to see, but you're going to have to see them and stay in a twin size bed for like four nights. And why don't they get a bigger bed after all these years? And right. So there's that. And then there's the family that, that you wish were here, that you wish you could be with. And there can be anxiety or stress or feeling overwhelmed around just longing to be with the people that you actually wish you could be with. And then there's the shopping and having to get that perfect gift. And again, we can exhaust all kinds of energy on all kinds of stress on shopping and making sure you always have to get the perfect gift. And so you can get so worked up about that, that basically at the end of it, you're basically like, here's your stupid gift. I mean, that's kind of how you can get to that. You can get to that place. That's not what it's actually all about. Uh, by show of hands, how many of you are traveling uh, for, uh, for Christmas over the holidays? You're traveling somewhere, flight, driving. Okay. That's a lot. That has its own world of stress 
and anxiety that comes with it, canceled flights and sitting in airports or road conditions and having to make sure that you leave in time to get there in time. Uh, many of us have year-end work projects that you're trying to get done uh, so that you can actually be done with work. And have you ever noticed uh, around this time of year, you're working twice as hard so that you cannot work <laughs> next week? And this, so can you see why 62% of Americans feel a significant amount of stress or anxiety around the holidays? I think all of us can kind of get in touch with how we feel that ourselves. For many of us, this most wonderful time of the year can actually feel like the most worryful time of the year. And I feel it. I have a, I have a, I just, the things I worry about are just very, it's very interesting to me. Like I worry about like getting to places on time, leaving on time, traffic conditions. Like I get real worked up about making sure we get to all the things we got to get to in time. And, and I felt it this last Friday, uh, we decided to pull the kids out of school, kind of just do a mental health day. It's been a long two weeks. And so we kept them home from school. And then the point was just to chill. Fridays are a day off. And so we were going to chill, stay in our sweats as long as humanly possible. But we had a couple things in the back half of the day that we needed to get done. And so we had our, our Christmas card family photo shoot and it's later than we normally do it because our photographer wasn't available. And so, so we just knew we, they were coming at two 30. And so we had just had to be ready for that. And by ready, I just mean at least brushing our teeth or maybe showering. And so that was coming. And then after that, we decided that we would go do our uh, Santa photo with the kids because apparently it's an Illinois state law that you have to take a picture with Santa every year. And so, we've, so we had to do that. So then we, we, I knew we had to do that. But then we also had a party that we had to get to that evening, a Christmas party uh, that we had to get to. So we had to get back to the house by 6.30 to get to the party by 7. And then some friends at the party wanted to know if we could go to dinner with them afterwards. So again, all morning when I'm supposed to be relaxing, I'm thinking through, okay, when should we leave? What time should we leave? How do we do this? It's Friday. What time is it? And I'm getting all revved up over things that I have absolutely no control over. And I found myself when we were taking the family picture, that was the first thing and a couple of things going, all right, come on guys, come on guys. I need you to smile. I need you to smile, but we got to smile because we got to get going. And I'm like, oh, that's not, that's not helping. That's giving our kids issues. Like you got to slow down. And so I found, and then we finished that. And so we raced over to do the Santa thing because last year we did the picture with Santa on Christmas Eve. Sounds like a great idea until you get there and it's a three hour wait. And at some point, about halfway through, I'm like, guys, just go photobomb that families. Just get in the back and I'll take it and we'll crop them out. It'll count. That was a huge mistake. So we wanted to make sure we got there and did that right. And so we did. We got there and that happened and it was great. But then it took us from Michigan Avenue to get back to this neighborhood. It took us about 35 minutes, which it should not take that long. And I, I mean, this was making the baby Jesus cry, like how much traffic there is. On a Friday, and I found myself getting revved up. I'm like, oh, we got it. Oh, the, the sitter's gonna, people that are watching our kids are gonna be there, and they're just gonna be waiting out in the cold for us. They'll probably get like frost, but we gotta get going. And so I revved up, stressed up over like really small things. And this is what happens when we give worry the wheel small things become big things, details become all consuming things. This is not how you and I were actually meant to or created to live. You know, the interesting thing is there was a study done by the National Science Foundation many years ago, still holds today, that of all the things we get worked up and worried about, just even my little example from Friday, of all the things we get worked up and worried about in our life, do you know that 92% of those things don't actually ever happen? That only about 8% of the things you worry about, you actually have any sort of say or control over that actually come to pass in your life. 
92% of the things, me worrying about traffic and then on the way there, there was no traffic. Like I have no control over that. It's fascinating the power, the energy that we give to things we ultimately have no control over. And so for any of us and for all of us who feel maybe stressed out or anxious or worried this Christmas season or just in general in your life, I want to invite you into a shift today. I want to help kind of redirect that energy towards something that I believe is more, far more transformational, something that can... Uh, really turn around and change your Christmas for you and your life for you. I want to invite you into the genius of Jesus and how you can turn your worry upside down through worship. How you can literally turn worry on its head through the act of worship. Because as we're going to see here over the course of our time together today, worry is far more of a, a spiritual endeavor than you may even realize. Like worry has a lot more to do with your soul than you may even know. In fact, worry really is, if you think about it, worry is, is meditation. It's just in the wrong direction. That's what worry is. Worry is meditation in the wrong direction. So if I were to ask you, you know, how, how, how's, like, how does prayer go for you? Oh, I'm not very, I don't know how to pray. I'm not really good at praying. But you're good at worrying, then you're fantastic at praying. You just don't realize it yet because you're doing it in the wrong direction. Worry is meditation in the wrong direction. Don't believe me? Think about the things that you're worried about or anxious about in your life right now. My hunch is they're one of the first things that you think about when you wake up. They stay with you throughout the day. And they're one of the last thoughts you have before you go to bed. The Bible actually says that that's what we're invited to do with God, about God. But we tend to do it about all sorts of little things that ultimately we have no control over in our life. You're actually already awesome at praying. We just tend to meditate in the wrong direction. We tend to focus on all these things that ultimately we have no control over, not realizing that we are exhausting ourselves running on a treadmill and not actually getting anywhere, not able to do anything about it. And the genius of Jesus is that you can actually make a shift today. There's something you can do to shift that today, and it'll change your Christmas, and I believe it'll change your life. So if you would grab a Bible, please, and open to Matthew chapter 6. I want to ask everyone to grab a Bible and a pen. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we got them right here in the seat back for you. We got you covered. Uh, you can grab one of these gray Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6, page 679 in the gray Bible. Um, and we always say this, but I just want to say it again. If you are serious about exploring who God is and you came here maybe because a friend brought you uh, to church this week, um, bonus points for coming on a super cold day. Uh, but if you don't own a Bible, we can solve that for you. If you don't own a Bible, please steal a Bible from church today. Nothing would make us happier than you stealing a Bible from church today. And like we say, you just put it in your stocking so it feels like a little present for you to open up <laughs> next week. But I am so serious about this. If you want to explore who God is, please steal a Bible from us. Nothing makes us happier than people stealing Bibles from church. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, let me give you context. We looked at this last week. This is the greatest sermon ever told, the Sermon on the Mount. It's the genius of Jesus on display where he paints this, he kind of turns all of our expectations about God and our life upside down and paint such a better, bigger picture of the kingdom of God, the way of God in this world. And so this is coming right out of the middle of that. And Jesus is talking about all of our worries and our needs and how we can actually begin to point them in the right direction. Verse 25, Matthew 6, 25 says this, therefore I tell you, do not what? Do not 
worry. He says it right there. Do not worry about your life. Now, what I love about Jesus is he gives the whole point of the sermon at the very beginning right here. He's like, here's my big idea. Don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. And then he goes on to explain some of the things that we tend to worry about. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? This is a brilliant move here that Jesus is doing. Because not only is he just really clear and blunt about it, hey, I don't want you to worry, but then he kind of paints a a bigger and a far uh, better picture for us on the things that we tend to meditate on. We tend to meditate on small things and kind of fix our attention on small things. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to look back. Life is far more important than all of the little things that you tend to get obsessed with. There's a lot more, there's a lot more to you than that. It's an interesting little moment that Jesus does here because he doesn't, he's not saying that you shouldn't, like when it says, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you drink or what you wear. He's not saying to, you know, that it's okay to just kind of be irresponsible and like, oh, just see what happens. Good vibes, God provides. You know, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, no, it's, you can be responsible, have a plan, but trust God with these details of your life. Don't become obsessed, consumed, anxious, and overwhelmed by them. Trust God with these details of your life. Moving on, verse 26, he literally invites us to look up to see what's really going on. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they. Now, I love what Jesus is doing here. He's taking this big concept, worry, anxiety, stress that we all feel, and he gets it to a really simple reminder that all of us at any point can sort of be brought back to. He's like, just look at the birds of the air. I mean, look, at they don't, they don't have like a five-year plan. Like they're not trying to like work and build their portfolio. I mean, honestly, when's the last time you saw like a stressed out swan? Like, I got to get across the pond. Like it's not, you don't see that. They don't stress out like that. You don't see like a paranoid pigeon, you know, like just... Uh, just overrun by fear. It just doesn't work that way. Why is that, that these animals seem to have this innate sense that they don't have to worry or be anxious about anything? I believe because all of creation knows that their creator is also their provider. And the God who made them will take care of them. Now they get it right. Birds get it right. Will you? Will I? Will we get this simple lesson that we actually don't have to worry? Because Jesus says, you matter so much more than some random bird. You matter way more to God than that. And then he goes on to ask a genius question, verse 27. He says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I love that question. He just cuts right to it. Can any one of you, by worrying, if you cha- kind of choose that path, can you add a single hour to your life? Jesus is reminding us of what I believe we actually already secretly no, is that worry doesn't add a single thing to our life. It doesn't change a single thing about our life. It has no external power other than to keep you from the life God created you to live. That's what it does. It's meditation in the wrong direction. Uh, many years ago, a Welsh minister by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and I think so wisely still holds today, he said, the only result of worrying about the future is crippling yourself in the present. That's all you get from worrying about the future, is crippling yourself in the present, missing out on the life God actually has for you. Listen, no one, 
No one yet in human history has ever worried their way to a more meaningful life. But plenty of people have worried their way to a miserable life. No one's ever worried their way into a more meaningful, substantial, significant life. But plenty of people have worried their way into a miserable, stuck, overwhelmed kind of life. Because you can't, it doesn't add anything to your life. It doesn't add an hour to your life, all of your worry. There's an old fable uh, about a man who bumps into death outside of his village. He's out for a morning, we'll say jog, and he bumps into death, like death, the death, right? Death. And he says, what are you doing here? And death says, well, I've come here today to take a hundred people from your town. And the man says, how can you do such a thing? And death says, well, I'm I'm death. It's right here in my card. This is what I do. And I'm here to take a hundred people from your town today. And the man says, I have to run and go tell everyone. And so he runs back to his village and he begins to tell everyone, death is coming. Death is coming. Death is near. Do what you got to do. Death is on its way. And then at the end of the day, the story goes that the man comes back and finds death outside of his village. And he's just infuriated. He's furious at death. And he comes and he points his finger at death. He says, you lied to me. Death says, what are you talking about? He says, you told me you would only take 100 people from my village today, and yet there are 1,000 dead. And Death said, oh, no, I kept my end of the bargain. I only took 100. Worry took the rest. And this is what worry does. It takes, it doesn't give. It doesn't add. It takes from your life and from my life. And that's why Jesus takes it so seriously. Doesn't add a single day to your life, but it can make every day of your life miserable. And so verse 28, this is what he goes on to say. He says, listen, let me give you another example of something you might be worried about. Why do you worry about clothes? Why do you worry about fashion and all that kind of stuff? That's fine. It's good. But why do you get so anxious about having enough and making sure you have enough? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin And yet I tell you that not even Solomon, so this is the wealthiest king in all of Israel's history, not even Solomon, all his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. Verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Won't he take care of you if this is how the grass and the flowers go? So look, you need to look up at the birds and see that they are being taken care of by their creator, provider God. You can look down at the flowers, the grass, and see that they're actually taken care of by their creator, provider God. And then Jesus adds this little phrase at the end. He says, you of little, what's the phrase? You of little faith. Have you ever heard that before? It actually only comes up about six times in the gospel accounts. You have little faith, you have little faith. It seems a little like derogatory. It seems like Jesus is frustrated or mad or I don't know, throwing like some first century shade at you and me for not actually getting this principle. Like, okay, Jesus, I'm trying, I'm listening, I'm trying. I don't get why would you have to do this, right? He uses this phrase with Peter when Peter tries to walk on water. So, oh, you have little faith. Actually, the original uh, Greek word that that phrase comes from actually means, oh, my little one. It's a, it's a term of endearment. My little one, my little faithling, you might say. My little one of faith. So it's not about, oh, you lack faith. It's I want you to grow your faith. 
Oh, my little one, I want you to get this. I want you to grow in this. I want you to trust your father, God. I want you to grow. So he goes on by saying this in verse 31. So, and I love this. He concludes by going right back to where he started, exact way he started this little segment. So, do not, like, don't worry. Do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Kind of summing it all up for you right here. For the pagans, that means those who don't know God or aren't interested in a relationship with God. For the pagans run after these things. They get on the treadmill running after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you what? That you need them. He knows what you need. He absolutely knows what you need. Everything you need more than you even know yourself. Verse 33, here is the genius shift that Jesus offers. But seek first his kingdom. First and foremost with your life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That means his will, his way. That means seek out God first. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now that is a huge shift. He's saying seek out first God and his will and his way and all those things that you'd become preoccupied with, that you'd become worried about, that you'd become stressed about, that you'd become anxious about, he'll take care of all of those things. What Jesus is doing is radically reorienting in our to-do list, reprioritizing our to-do list, saying, look, here's, here's the deal. I want you to start with God. Rather than chasing after all these things till you get to the point of exhaustion, till you feel so overwhelmed and so beat up and so anxiety ridden and there's not enough medication to help kind of calm you down from that, you eventually then come to God because you're all beat up and you have no other options and you're at the end of yourself. Jesus says, no, no, no. Rather than going that route, I want you to start with God. I want you to start there. Seek him out. Trust him like the birds of the air, like the flowers of the field. Trust him and all of this other stuff will find its right place. God will provide for every one of your needs if you start with him. It's all about where you choose to place your attention. Where you choose to focus your attention. Is it going to be on the thousand things that you can't control or will it be on the one who is actually in control? Where will you focus your attention? See, this is what we do. This is what I do at least, more than I even would care to admit. I focus my attention on all these things that I think I control and all these things that if I just kind of worry hard enough, they'll sort of work out or I'll be prepared for rather than focusing and starting with the one who's actually already always in control. And saying, I'm coming to you first, God. I'm trusting you. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with these things. So I'm coming to you first. I'm laying down my worried heart. I'm trusting that you are a good father, that my creator is actually my provider as well, and that you will know how to take care of me. I am focusing my attention on you. And I believe that all these things will be given to me, will be added to me, will be taken care of, by you. Now, earlier this year, uh, we had the, uh, a really fun privilege uh, as a 
family. Uh, some friends of ours have a cabin in Colorado, and they let us uh, use it for a week over spring break. And so we got to take our kids snowboarding for the first time in their life. It was so fun. Anyone, any snowboarders in here? Oh, it's like six of us who are cool. All right, good. No, I mean, let's just be honest. If you want to ski, go back to the 80s. You can do that. But no, I'm just, no, that's not in my nose. I should have never said that. And now divided the whole room against me. Uh, okay, so we taught our kids to snowboard because that's what, that's what Jesus would do if he were alive today. And so, okay, I've said too much. I'm sorry, I've said too much. I've said too much. I've said too much. And so we gave them lessons. We gave them snowboarding lessons. And I'm so glad we did because it had been like 10 years since I'd been on snowboard and I grew up doing that. And so... You know, I'm kind of listening in on the kids' lessons, and it became a family lesson real quick. And, and then I heard them say something that no one ever taught me when I learned, because I kind of learned when it came out. You know, I, we, there was no instructors. We were just figuring it all out. And so uh, they said, to, they taught our kids that if you want to turn, rather than kind of like swiveling your hips, you know, because snowboarding, you stand like this, rather than kind of cutting hard, all you have to do is just turn your head. And wherever you turn your head, the board will actually follow. Your body will follow. So if you want to go down there, you just look where you want to go. And sure enough, it will go there. If you want to go over there, you just kind of turn and look over here. And sure enough, it will go there. In fact, I brought a picture of our kids on their very first day. This is a couple hours after getting on a snowboard for the very first time. And they were crushing it. I mean, they were crushing it. They were having so much fun. And because they just got it, they just went, they would just do the little turn and just kind of follow where they needed to go. And it was so fun to watch them get that. And so powerful of a lesson for us, not only for beginner snowboarders, but for us in our lives when it comes to these ones of us, these little ones of us who can focus our attention on so many different things, who can get so overwhelmed and lost and looking to all of the things we feel anxious and overwhelmed and worried about, when the genius of Jesus is the invitation to focus on God first and foremost, and your life will follow. Because here's the deal. Your attention always determines your direction. Not your intentions, your attention. Your attention determines your direction. You may have all the intentions in the world of, oh, I want to follow God. Oh, I want to be a more trusted person. But it's where you fix your attention, what you choose first, that determines the direction of your life. So what will you choose to focus your attention on this Christmas? Will it be all the thousand things that you ultimately can't even control, 92% of which will never actually even happen? Or will it be on the one who's always in control, who knows every one of your needs and delights in providing for you? Will you start with him? Will you seek him out first and let him take care of everything else that comes afterwards? This is the invitation for us this Christmas. And I think so often, especially this time of year, we just need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. This is what the Christmas story ultimately is, that God gives, that God provides. He sends himself into our world, into our lives, just what we need, just when we needed it. And maybe today, you just needed to be reminded of that. And this week, as you feel worry working its way up into your life, you have a choice to make, a shift that you can actually make. Will you try and focus on it and be distracted by it and a thousand other things? Or will you choose to focus your attention on the God who created you, the Savior who came 
so that you could have relationship with him. You know, as I mentioned earlier, this has been a really, really, really uh, difficult, heavy, sad couple of weeks with the loss of my friend Jeremiah, leader in our church. And yet the thing I did not expect myself to be doing through this is what I keep finding myself doing. I find myself again and again and again being drawn into worship music, to singing songs about God. It's not what I would have expected. But in the midst of tears, in the midst of feeling loss, real loss, in the midst of feeling care for Tamara and for Cannon, for their family, I find that I've just been drawn this last week and a half to worship music. In fact, if you were here on Monday night this last week for Jeremiah's memorial service, it was one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced at our church. Two and a half hours of worship music through tears, present with God, present with each other. And I think there's nothing in this world that can turn worry upside down like worship. Because what it does is it focuses your attention. See, what, what, what worry does is worry focuses your attention on all the things you can't control. That's all worry can do for you, is focus your attention on all the things you can't control. But worship focuses your attention on the one who's in control. That's what it does. It lifts your eyes up. It helps you seek and see God for all of who he is. So that's why we worship here. If you ever wonder why we sing songs here, like, what that's all about. That's why we do it. Because I need it, you need it, we all need it to have our attention to be brought back to God. So I thought what would be really helpful and I think really fun for our church to do is to do a little homework over Christmas break. And I know the last thing you wanted to do is homework over Christmas break. But I want you to actually consider this challenge. I want to consider our whole church, I want you to consider personally, worshiping your way through Christmas. Because there's going to be more deadlines, there's going to be more travel stress, there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to come to take your attention, your focus off of the one who's in control. So one of the things I would encourage you to do is to find one song a day that you can actually worship along to. Now for some of you, like you already do this for hours on end every day. This is not going to be a challenge for you. But for others, this will be. Because maybe the first thing you reach for in the morning is the news, or maybe it's the paper, or maybe it's your email. And rather than doing that, I want to encourage you to help meditate in the right direction to actually listen to a worship song. There's all kinds of Christmas songs out right now, and we love all those kind of silly, cute, fun Christmas songs. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about a worship song that talks about Jesus. <laughs> and it actually focuses your attention on him. And see what happens to the direction of your day. Just put it to the test. See what happens. And maybe for you, the next step is to sing along with it. You've never done this before. Maybe while you're getting dressed in the morning, maybe while you're putting your makeup on, maybe while you're in the car, maybe while you're in the train, join in with all the other crazies and sing <laughs> on the train. Worship me. Actually sing it and declare it and name it out loud. Make that song your song. And see what happens when you focus your attention See what happens to your direction. See if it doesn't shift not only your day, but shift the way you walk into Christmas this year. Because the last thing we would ever want is for you to make it all the way through Christmas and miss Jesus and miss him. And that's really easy to do when your focus is on everything you can't control. So that's the homework. Every day, we're gonna listen to at least one worship song. And if you want bonus points, sing along. 
make it your song and see what happens. And if you're new to this kind of stuff, uh, we've put together an incredible worship album. You can get that out in the lobby right afterwards. I'd encourage you to do that or go get one of our free Spotify lists and you can kind of hear the songs that we sing here on Sunday. But make sure you have what you need so that you can focus your attention in the right direction this week. And in fact, I want us to close out our time together this morning doing just that. I'm gonna ask you to stand, if you would please, and take a posture that we regularly take of open-handedness. This is how we pray. We pray with open hands around here. So if you take a posture of open-handedness and I'd ask you to actually close your eyes for a second. We don't always do that, but to close your eyes. And I want you to think about all the things in your life right now where you just may feel overwhelmed, worried, stressed, anxious. Maybe it's about your kids. Maybe it's about your future. Maybe it's about your finances. Maybe there's a relational conflict going on right now. And this all you think about all the time. And rather than meditating on that, what would it look like for you to literally, with your hands open, pretend as though you're laying it down before God? Laying these things down. Say, God, I trust you with them. I'm putting you back on the top of the list. I'm seeking you first. And I believe you'll take care of the rest. Oh God, how we need to do this every day. Thank you that you reminded us throughout the Christmas story, we see it again and again, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be overwhelmed, don't let your heart be troubled because you are here, you are with us, you are for us. You are not only our creator, God, you're our provider, God, and you're inviting us to focus the attention of our lives on you and to be reminded today, God, that you are faithful. You've been faithful all along the way, every step of the way, God. You haven't brought us this far to only bring us this far, God. So help us to stay focused on you, we pray, through this Christmas season. It's in your name that we pray and we sing. Amen.